1: And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris We will work together and continue to work together to address these issues, to tackle these challenges and to work together as we continue to work operating from the new norms, rules and agreements that we will convene to work together on, and I know we will work on this together. This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Stu does America.
0: You know you need us in your life. You need us for things like veepthoughts.com. You can watch all of Kamala's knowledge in one place at veepthoughts.com. You can also subscribe to Blaze TV, blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew to save 10 bucks. Brian Dean Wright joins us today with the latest on Ukraine and inflation. Americans overwhelmingly disapprove of Joe Biden's handling of the economy. And in other news, the ocean is still big and wet. But we start (laughs) by doing Jane's revenge what the heck is Jane's Revenge? You might hear about Jane's Revenge quite a bit in the coming months. And I will tell you, if you Google Jane's Revenge, you likely will come up with Calamity Jane's Revenge, a movie that looks like this. What are you hunting me up for? I'm going to capture Calamity Jane. (laughs) You are notoriously hard to kill Dang, no, damn it! I mean, if that if that has not wrapped up your attention already, you're probably already on YouTube searching for it. But just in case you're not completely sold yet, let me just give you a taste of what it looks like when a guy gets hit in the back of the head with a gun. If this acting doesn't win you over, I don't know what will. Here it comes. Uh, that was basically half my day I was supposed to be doing research on this organization and instead I found that movie and I I was addicted Okay, so let me tell you about the actual Jane's Revenge. Jane's Revenge is an organization of sorts um, and it's one I don't think you're going to like all that much. I don't think your donations are going to be going there anytime soon Jane's Revenge has been making a lot of news lately because they are an organization that seems to be doing some sort of terrorism vandalism, property damage, and more to pro-life organizations around the country as they try to express themselves in their opposition to the possible overturning of Roe versus Wade. Um, the Intercept has looked into these uh, this group a little bit. And we're gonna go through they are actual statements here uh, tonight. I want you to know who this organization is, because in reality, you're going to be hearing a lot about them. They're building fast and they're looking to do a lot of damage uh, to your community. So you should know who they are. Um, The Intercept, you know, I don't know. You think of a group that's firebombing uh, pro-life centers, you'd think you'd have a, a pretty good understanding of how people might react to that. But sometimes things surprise you. The Intercept writes, When I read that a group calling itself Jane's Revenge had firebombed anti-abortion crisis pregnancy centers in Madison, Wisconsin, Des Moines, Iowa, and other locations from Washington State to Washington, D.C., my first thought was, what the F? Now, you might say, okay, that's, that's what I would expect. Someone's pissed off. What the heck is going on out there? Why are you doing all this firebombing? Next paragraph, I mean, was this a false flag? Who but the extreme right... Which had looked the other way while its terrorist armies murdered abortion providers would besmirch the name of Jane, the Chicago collective that provided over eleven thousand safe, illegal abortions before Roe v.ersus Wade. Yeah, how would one? besmirch an organization that prevented 11,000 children from living. I can't think of one way to do it. Uh, I guess you just have to. uh, I mean, I'm on the right and I couldn't ever think of a way to besmirch such a wonderful organization doing such incredibly positive things for our population numbers. Um, This is a bizarre thing. And I think one of the first accusations was this. Is it? A false organization. Did someone on the right say, you know what we should do? We should firebomb crisis pregnancy centers uh, because that will make everyone think bad things about anti, uh, 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 anti-choice anti or anti-pro-life, I guess, pro-abortion activists. I don't know. Um, so I don't know why anyone would do that. I don't know why anyone would think that would, that would work. Uh, But apparently the left, that was their first thing they jumped to. But apparently not the case. Robert Evans, who covers extremism, reviewed the language of a communique from the group. And this is important. And the source through which it came to him. (laughs) In other words, he knows exactly who this is and expressed confidence that Jane's revenge is what it says it is, not some right wing imposter. Now, of course, you might say, well. All right, it's not an imposter, but at least they're going to say these things are wrong, right? You might be asking a little too much. Evans called the acts ethical terrorism. Oh, the destruction of infrastructure rather than the unethical terrorism that targets civilians, agreed with a guess that the Wisconsin attackers' bomb was a pretty good Molotov and pronounced the action competent and its messaging clear. I mean, if you can't find a way to praise somebody firebombing a pregnancy center... I don't know. You're just not creative enough. And apparently the left is there. Jane's Revenge, luckily for us, has its own blog. Yes, Jane's Revenge has its own blog. Now, they're not telling you who they are. They're not giving you their names. It's similar to an Antifa type of approach in that way. It's sort of a decentralized organization, not really being clear about who its members or leadership uh, is. This is in contrast to something like BLM, who told you right up front that they were trying to Get rid of the nuclear family. And we promise we are uh, a bunch of uh, people who have studied Marxism. And here are our names and pictures. Uh, That's kind of how they went at it. This is a different approach. And it's one that might be a little scary for you if you happen to either run a crisis pregnancy center, live near one or honestly happen to be alive in an area that they deem is too pro-life because they're coming for you, at least that's what they say. They say this, this is their first communique, uh, when they kind of broke the news that we are a thing here at Jane's Revenge. They say, this is not a declaration of war. War has been upon us for decades, a war which we did not want and did not provoke. Too long have we been attacked for asking for basic medical care. Too long have we been shot, bombed and forced into childbirth Without consent. That's a, a lot wrapped up in that one. And if I, get, if I get locked into every sentence here, I will never finish this monologue. But I think you might be able to poke a couple of holes in that take on the like, fight for abortion over the past few decades. This is only a warning. We demand the disbanding of all anti-choice establishments, fake clinics and violent anti-choice groups within the next 30 days. This is not a mere difference of opinion as some have framed it. We are literally fighting for our lives. We will not sit while we are killed and forced into servitude. Again, I don't know if they know what the meaning of many of these words are, but I think one thing that is important is uh, that this came out more than 30 days ago? So we've already missed the deadline to shut down the entire anti choice movement. I, I mean, I would have done it too, but we missed the deadline. So now might as well just keep going and fighting for babies' lives. This bizarre uh, description of what someone who wants abortion, uh, you know, how they describe themselves as being bombed and shot at. Now, look, we know there have been. There are, there have been a couple of these incidents over the years when it comes to abortion providers. Uh, and those are obviously hideously wrong in every way. And we talked about them at the time when they've happened. And they've been very few and far between. We should note uh, that being said, the idea that uh, every woman is being forced into servitude by giving birth is really uh, not a fair description as to what the birthing process is. But. Um, they go on, we have run thin on patient and mercy for those who seek to strip us of what little autonomy we have left. As you continue to bomb clinics and assassinate doctors with impunity, again, you're gonna to have to give more examples of this, uh, so too shall we adopt increasingly extreme tactics to maintain freedom over our own bodies, you're seeing this start to escalate. Here, we are forced to adopt the minimum military requirement for a political struggle. Again, this was only a warning. Next time, the infrastructure of the enslavers will not survive. Medical imperialism—what? They're putting these words together as if they know what they mean. Will not pass a, uh, not face a passive enemy. Wisconsin is the first flashpoint, but we are all over the U.S. and we will issue no further warnings. And we will not stop. And we will not back down. Nor will we hesitate to strike. A until the inalienable right to manage our own health is returned to us. We are not one group, but many. We are in your city. We are in every city. Your repression only strengthens our accompliceship and... Resolve. It's like gate, you know. Anything can have gate after it. Water gate, uh, gate gate, deflate gate. They can always have a gate after it. Now they can always have ship after it. Uh, uh, Ally ship, apprentice ship, all of these ships now get used to it. Uh, It's like you're in the Navy. Um, So Jane's Revenge wants you to know that they are going to come out and they're going to do a lot of bad things in your community, but they're only doing it because you've declared war on them. See, this is a defensive war in their mind. And this is an organization that's already done thousands and thousands of dollars of damage and promises to do much more. I wanna get into that here in a second. But you should know, if you're thinking of joining this organization, there are some requirements. Now, we have lately been told you can identify as any gender that you want. That's totally fine, gender doesn't mean anything. But of course, we've also been told that it means everything. And it seems like Jane's Revenge is on the it means everything bandwagon at least if you are a cis male, okay? So if you're a cis male, you are allowed to hang out with the Jane's Revenge Party. But there are some rules, and I want you to follow them. To the cis male allies who would be interested in joining us in the streets, we say, you are certainly welcome, but you must use your privilege to shield and support us in a way that also enables us to get angry. Do not police us. Do not tell us what is and is not appropriate but do us do aid us when we are in need. All right, so we can't say anything, but if we show up, we can, I don't know, block all the evil right-wing bullets that might be coming their way. Thank you so much for that opportunity, by the way. Um, they gave us this 30-day deadline. Then they kind of outlined what's gonna go on in these nights of rage that they're telling us are around the corner, and we'll get into the details on those here in a second. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, It was already more than 30 days ago. So we missed our deadline. We could have shut this all down. Everything would have been fine. They would have totally been okay with everything else we were doing in our lives. They just needed to shut down those crisis pregnancy centers, and it would have been fine. But we missed the deadline. That's our fault, okay? That one's on us. Our bad. We just aren't on the Internet enough. We didn't see the first one. So the third communique that has come out from Jane's Revenge Uh, starts with a a warning here that our 30 days had expired yesterday when this was written. We offered an honorable way out. You could have walked away. Now the leash is off and we will make it as hard as possible for your campaign of oppression to continue. That campaign of oppression, by the way, is having children live. In case you're wondering what that campaign was. We have demonstrated in the past month how easy and fun it is to attack. We are versatile, we are mercurial, and we answer to no one but ourselves. We promise to take increasingly drastic measures against oppressive infrastructures. Rest assured that we will, and those measures may not come in the form of something so easily cleaned up as fire and graffiti. From here forward, any anti-choice group who closes their doors and stops operating will no longer be a target. Oh, well, thank you so much for that. But until you do, it's open season and we know where your operations are. The infrastructure of the enslavers will not survive. We will never stop, back down, slow down or retreat. We did not want this, but it is upon us. So we must deal with it proportionally. And for the allies of ours who doubt the authenticity of the communiques and actions, there is a way you can get irrefutable proof that these actions are real. Go do one of your own. You You are already one of us. Everyone with the urge to paint, to burn, to cut, to jam. Now is the time. Go forth and manifest the things you wish to see. Stay safe and practice your cursive. Why would you practice cursive? Kind of an interesting thing to say. And that's been one of the things that the left has pointed out. These must be fake attacks because, uh, I mean, obviously our education system, you know, people who are young these days can't even write let alone write in cursive. But they actually have said that, hey, uh, young people don't write in cursive, and this is BS, it's gotta be BS. Well, this is kind of their calling card. You see the uh, graffiti, Uh, this one is just kind of fancy writing. Um, But if you see here, Jane was here uh, on the side of this, uh, looks like a trailer, um, and uh, that's in cursive. And then you see, this is the kind of most famous one, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. By the way, Hollywood will definitely be making a movie celebrating these people. Uh, Let's start guessing the cast now because this one will be made very, very soon. And of course, what they have done is not just put graffiti on uh, in, in fancy cursive writing on uh, the walls of buildings, they've gone much further. Uh, Fro- Florida Pro-Life Pregnancy Center hit with Jane's Revenge Abortion Vandalism. D.C. Pregnancy Center vandalized. Jane says revenge. Pro-abortion terrorist firebomb. Buffalo Pro-Life Pregnancy Center. Jane's Revenge Group claims responsibility for Des Moines Pregnancy Center vandalism. And what's interesting here is you go to the, the typical folks you might uh, look at when, uh, when looking at an extreme uh, organization in a city. We know, like for example, Antifa is one that's had a lot of focus and people knew who these activists were in these communities. They spring into action when these things pop up and they have uh, anti-government you know, action or whatever they believe is the right thing to do at that particular moment. And so a lot of people uh, talked about this one group, DSM Street Medics, who are a collective of folks dedicated to health care Healing and keeping people safe in Des Moines, Iowa, because they just seem to be around all the time when these type of things break out and like, hey, do you guys have anything to do with this? And they want you to know. No, they didn't. No, 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 no. They did not have anything to do with this. Now, did they happen to get another communique from the group? Sure. But that's just luck. Maybe they just found it on the streets. They say here, the DSM street medics received the following from a trusted source. Their trusted source is apparently involved in fire bombings. Uh, we are in no way affiliated with these actions, but we applaud them. We have been asked to use our platform to uplift the following message. Let me give it to you. The night of June 2nd, 2022, we vandalize Agape a prominent crisis pregnancy center in a low-income area of Des Moines, Iowa. What, it sounds like a terrible place, helping people with their pregnancies in a low-income area. What a bunch of monsters. Agape, like Innerversions, Birthright, and many other crisis pregnancy centers in Iowa, is a religious fake clinic that inflicts emotional, financial, and physical violence on people who need healthcare and support. If they are, physical violence would be a problem. It just doesn't seem to actually be happening. They lie, they shame, and manipulate people into not getting abortions. Can you believe these people wanting children to live? Crisis pregnancy centers work to uphold patriarchy, Christian supremacy, white supremacy, and cis hetero normativity. That's one freaking very long word. We broke windows. We broke messages of God loves abortion. This is going to work out well for you in eternity, boys and girls. Fake clinic. This place is not safe and stop lying. It was fun and easy. And now is the time for action. Crisis pregnancy centers, as well as the churches, banks and businesses that support them, are all responsible for the violence of forced birth. Hmm. We are ask, not asking uh, for the right to choose. Abortions are not safe and neither are you in solidarity, love and rage. Jane's revenge. You know, it's not just the cities that I mentioned here, as they point out in their own communique, uh communications we have a long list of where they've hit already. You have seen that we are real and we are not merely pushing empty words. As we have said, we are not one group but many. You have seen us in Madison, Wisconsin, Fort Collins, Colorado, Risertown, Massachusetts, Olympia, Washington, Des Moines, Iowa, Linwood, Washington, Washington, D.C., Asheville, North Carolina, Buffalo, New York, Hollywood, Florida, Vancouver, Washington, Frederick, uh, Massachusetts, Denton, Texas, Gresham, Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, Portland, Oregon, among others, and we will work in countless locations invisibly. This organization, which is less of an organization, but the attempt to start a movement which has a lot of open ears, a lot of people are interested in the things that they're saying. How can we justify violence against the people we hate? How can we justify violence against those who want the terrible, terrible outcome of children being born? How can we do it? well, they're working very hard to convince people to come along on this journey with them. This is how they leave it. On the night, the final ruling is issued, a specific date we cannot yet predict, but we know is arriving imminently. We are asking for courageous hearts to come out after dark. Whoever you are and wherever you are, we are asking for you to do what you can, to make your anger known. To those who work to oppress us, if abortion isn't safe, you aren't either. We are everywhere. Signed, Jane's Revenge. Does you know, buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do. And it can be much, much worse if you don't have someone on your team. You know, it's not a, you try to go it alone, you're gonna mess it up. If you just pull any random stranger off the streets or off the internet, You might not do so well in a big purchase or a big uh, sale. It could be the biggest financial transaction you ever make in your entire life. Usually that's true for people. When you make a house, when you make a buying or you're buying or selling a home, uh, the next purchase is usually a little bit bigger. And so as you expand in your life, uh, these things get more and more important. Do something about this. Make sure you have a a great process in place with realestateagentsitrust.com. realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there, provide them with some basic information. The team will contact you, make an introduction to their preferred agent in your town. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Check it out now, realestateagentsitrust.com. Happy to welcome back Brian Dean Wright. Uh, He is a former CIA operations officer and the host of the President's Daily Brief, a podcast, which you subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Brian, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, Your podcast comes in the form of like a presidential daily brief, hence the name. And, you know, it's like when I look at the media, the briefing that I'm getting on, let's say, Ukraine right now is, first of all, it was going really well and Ukraine was winning by a lot. And then all of a sudden it seems like this information has completely reversed and now it's gone the other way. Can you cut through the craziness here and tell me what is actually going on there?
1: Yeah. So at this point, we were in a war of attrition. Basically, it's does Russia have enough personnel and material to move at least a year or two through this war until they finally defeat a weaker Ukraine in terms of fewer manpower or personnel uh, fighters? uh, And of course, all the weaponry that they have not only domestically, but that they that they're being sent by the United States and Europe. And so that's what that's what we're at. Can Ukraine hold out and can Russia either find the people uh, through some sort of national draft that they have to get that far? But at the end of the day, it's going to be about attrition.
0: It seems like, uh, you know, Putin and Russia are really committed to this. and. They don't have another you know, way to go here. They can't just say, you know what? We tried this. It didn't really work out. We're going to go home now. That's not really an option for them. So their, their side of this, and it seems like Ukraine's side as well, is just to go until, until everybody is uh, off the battlefield. And it's just going to be – it's hard to see this ending in any other, any other way than a total disaster.
1: Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. I think most folks who understand where this war has been and likely where it's going is it's just going to be a grudge match. I mean, you know, sort of World War II style just hammered out on the fields of battle using some incredible different kinds of warfare than we saw, of course, in World War II. We're talking drones and these really, really sophisticated, um, you know, anti-ship missiles. So that the kind of technology involved is uh, very high tech, but the actual just in the trenches, bloody stuff that we are going to see likely for in the next year or two. And we'll see how long the Ukrainians can actually continue to put people in, uh, you know, they're in harm's way as we're out in the battlefield because Ukraine or I'm sorry, Russia has a lot more people to pull from a lot more men to pull from to fight. Mm. Uh, What
0: is our role supposed to be in this, Brian? Because I understand, you know, I I see Russia as the aggressors here. They're doing a lot of stuff uh, that I don't like. Uh, Ukraine is, you know, they're not, you know, the perfect country. We used to look at them as very, very corrupt. But in this particular yeah. case, you know, I mean, like they the a country is crossing their borders, trying to take their territory. I sympathize with that. Uh, I sympathize with having a buffer state between uh, Russia and NATO as much as is humanly possible. But like we are now at what, 50, 60 billion dollars? We've already invested mm. in this. I mean, we are not in a position to be throwing 60 billion dollars at anything right now, let alone something happening so far away. And that's not even our war, at least that's That's what they tell us.
1: Yeah, well, I think the most incredible thing to think about here is that the United States is, in fact, as you just said, 50 plus billion dollars. But if you look at the Europeans and their commitment, I mean, there was a massive fight in Germany over whether or not they should go to from one to two billion dollars worth of support. I mean, we are massively ahead of that number. So the Europeans are actually less worried about this than we are. If you're looking at just the amount of money and material that they're sending, the weaponry and such to Ukraine. So I think that's pretty remarkable, isn't it, that uh, Americans are being asked to sacrifice in a way that's far greater than Europeans are, I mean, I think that's at least worth talking about. It's very interesting, right? Mm. <laughs> the other big question here, mm. yeah, right? So I think the other big question here is, not only the money, but what do we point ourselves further into? Because the more weaponry that we send, right, the the more personnel that we send to, for instance, Poland, to help support all the transfer of that weaponry, how deeper are we getting involved in a conflict that could end up going head-to-head against the Russians and some of their allies, to include, God forbid, the Chinese? So this is a war that has absolutely every tentacle in lots of different parts of the world, that if it goes sideways, we end up very deep in a very, very big nasty war. Mm. Uh,
0: I know you've covered uh, quite a bit uh, the sort of side effects of this, especially when it comes to our food supply. It's something that people are not talking about. Um, We could see real food shortages uh, across the world, because of what's going on in Ukraine. And now we're seeing reports of, of theft of, of wheat and such uh, from Ukraine and taking it into Russia. That's probably gonna end up in yeah. the food. I mean, this is really winding up being uh, a part of this, I think, conflict that people have not really considered enough.
1: Yeah. So I'll tell you so we've got a, a an entire global market that requires wheat from Ukraine and Russia. And so obviously that wheat that's already been harvested that's sitting in the silos or or in fact there're ships that are sitting in the Black Sea, that's not moving. And then of course we have the harvest that's coming up this summer. Those all that grain, that sunflower, that has to go somewhere, and all those silos are being bombed out or being overrun by the Russians. So you have this pent up you know, bunch of crops, both sitting in ships, sitting in silos that hasn't been stolen from the Russians or a bunch that's coming online. And then you've got this massive market around the world that's saying we've got to have it. Egypt, for instance, 80 percent of what they need to feed their people comes from Russia and Ukraine. So it, that, those numbers, by the way, are not atypical for a lot of different places around the world. So it's a really, really big deal. Really got to try to, to look at and focus at all the different people who are getting it up either starving or, and this is important for your listeners and folks who are watching, these countries, these are people who buy our stuff. They are our trade partners. So if they're spending a whole bunch of money on wheat that's extraordinarily expensive or they're trying to spend money and time trying to put down a lot of fighting or domestic uh, you know, turmoil because of all the, the crisis that's happening around this wheat issue, well, they're not buying our stuff, are they? So that means fewer factory orders. That means fewer jobs here in America. So this reaches here, even if these places abroad uh, you know, seem very, very far away.
0: Is there any hope here, Ryan, when it comes to the food supply? I mean, getting it out of Ukraine, it just seems like trying to move it by sea. You've got Russia there with their ships. You've got mines in the water. It seems to be a real challenge that it doesn't. I don't know how you overcome it. Is there any hope to get this done?
1: There is. There's a couple of different paths, but it's really about volume, right? So we, in fact, can get some out and are getting some out via Poland. But there's this issue of do the train tracks from Ukraine match the train tracks in uh, Poland and they don't. So you're, you're shipping that a lot by uh, truck and you're just not getting a lot of that volume out. So there are two other routes going north. Into the Baltic Sea, and there's a big effort underway at the UN to try to make that happen. It's a little bit complicated, actually. It's a lot complicated because there's a company called Bel- a company, a country rather called Belarus that's very close to Vladimir Putin, and probably is not going to cooperate with us on the northern route. The southern route in the Black Sea completely overwhelmed with land with the uh, mines, obviously uh, sea mines, and and that is going to prevent a whole bunch of what we would like to send out that way. The traditional route. Well, it's just not going to go that way. So the three that we have, overland, going north, or going south, all are bad options. And we're trying what we can, but I'm not sure that we're going to get anything out anytime soon. Mm.
0: Uh, Let's talk about how the economy is affected by all of this. We know, believe me, we've heard from President Biden that the Putin price hike is part of this. And, uh, you know, know, of course, it is a factor, right? It is a factor when it comes to oil. It is a factor when it comes to a lot of the problems that we're having. I think a much smaller uh, factor than than he's trying to make it out to be, which is seemingly 100 percent of it. Um, But when you look at, let's say, for example, energy, we are seeing that go through the roof. Is it just a Putin price hike type of problem or is there something that we could and should be doing here in the United States to make this better?
1: Look, it is not just a Putin price hike. I think you very fairly and correctly said that it is part of the problem. But as we all know, and what the data show is that prices of diesel and gas were going up dramatically before the invasion, before Russia went into Ukraine. So it's not fair to say that this is all a Putin price hike. It definitely has tightened up global supply which in turn means that you know, so long as demand stays about the same, you're going to see price hikes. And that's precisely what we've seen. So it's not fair to say this is a prudent price hike. That means that we need to start asking questions of what can we do here in the United States to increase production and increase refining capability. That is to say, put more out based on what we're producing. And those are really tough to do on, on sort of a flip of a switch. In fact, it doesn't happen that way. You know, we shut down a lot of our production because of COVID. All the lockdowns meant that we didn't have a lot of demand. So oil and uh, and gas companies said, all right, we're going to shut down some of our production and some of our refining capacity. Well, when you try to bump that back up, you got to rehire a bunch of people. You have to retrain people. And then those refineries, well, that's going to take time to get those scrubbed back up once they've been shut down for upwards of two years. So that's a process that takes a fair amount of time. Plus. We used to have 250 refineries in this country back in the 1980s. We've only got 124 today. So we've got less capacity to even work with. And we know that because if you look around the country, you're looking at uh, capacity numbers or percentages of around 94 to 98% of those refineries. They are pumping stuff out as fast as they can. Uh, there's oil companies who are deferring maintenance so they can continue to push out as much as they can. So w- we would love, I'm sure, all to see more uh, you know, oil and gas come out of our refineries. But there's no more there to give. They are at, at darn near 100% capacity. Plus, you've got a president who says, hey, your entire industry because of climate change, we're going to kill it. So why would the oil and gas industry invest in themselves with new wells or expanding existing wells, building out pipelines, additional refineries? Why would you spend that money knowing that your entire industry is going to be killed by Washington, D.C.? They're telling you there is no future in your business. So we have a leadership issue when it comes to domestic production, and refining.
0: I love how they're trying to have it both ways. They talk to their environmentalist supporters. It's, it's like, oh, we're going to do everything we can to stop oil. And then when the prices start going up, all of a sudden, we're not doing anything to stop production. This is the oil companies. They're just greedy. Um, before I let you go, I, I want to ask you one more thing, because you came to mind as I was looking at all the problems of the day, Brian. You, you know, as someone who's in the CIA, you studied, you know, uh, disruptions of, of civilization all over the globe. You, you've seen what causes this. And when you talk about, lack of food, when you talk about out of control inflation, when you talk about lack of access to energy, heating, uh, electricity, these to me strike, uh, strike me as like the type of thing that start revolutions overseas and all around the world. We could see all sorts of disruptions to civilization in parts of the world that may or may not be close, but can really affect our homeland. And a lot of those problems are gonna hit us as well.
1: Hey Amen. Look, let's first start abroad. You are absolutely right. We are already seeing some of those initial protests in places where the prices of food have doubled or tripled or quadrupled. So we're seeing that beginning to happen, right? So, And that's just around the issue of wheat. And of course, you have in places like uh, Sri Lanka, where they're having lots of debates and, and protests around the prices of fuel. So this is happening abroad. And again, some of these places are our trade partners. So it will absolutely impact us. But What happens in this country when all those things that you just listed start happening here? And then you add on top of that, we have a southern border that doesn't effectively exist. We have tens of thousands of people who come across the border every month or every few months. Upwards of over a million just in the past year and a half. So if you have more people who are demanding scarcer resources, uh, that ends up being a problem in this country. And you never quite know what's going to be the one thing that pushes your own nation into a degree of chaos. But I think you're right to say, hey, I'm seeing a lot of things that are very problematic, at least historically in other places around the world. It's happening here, too. And I think that you are very wise to say, hey, I think we might have a problem not just abroad, but I think we're starting to see some really bad signs here, too, because I'm seeing the same thing. Mm.
0: Brian Dean Wright, uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. He covers this stuff every day on the President's Daily Brief. You can get it each morning uh, wherever you get your podcast. Brian, thanks so much for coming back on the show. You betcha. Just when you thought baby formula and the situation surrounding it could not get any worse, uh, there was apparently a storm in Michigan at the Abbott uh, Baby Formula Production Center, and flooding caused the production to be halted, because that's exactly what this country needs right now. It's just uh, we have too much baby formula. We're just awash in it. And now we actually are. Uh, so there you go. I don't know, you know. Last time, Biden really solved this problem with Operation Fly Formula. And that was a really amazing effort. Um, fly Formula 2, do we, do we do it again? Do an electric boogaloo type of sequel situation? I don't know. It's a possibility. How about Operation Dry Formula? Someone, you get take the, the wet formula that was in the flood, and then we'll just dry it out in giant heating lamps. That's another way to go. So lots of operations right around the corner. I will say this. You know, one of the things we talk about a lot is we are uncomfortable with having are the production of important things like baby formula uh, be overseas. And it's interesting, baby formula is kind of the opposite. We had all of it here and we couldn't import it. <laughs> um, so really, I think the lesson here is diversification of supply. You know, Not everything here, not everything over there, a little bit here, a little bit there. So we can kind of cover it and easily keep uh, the the, uh, the supply chain open for when things go wrong. Because it's not always only China that does things wrong and screws things up. We are pretty crappy at stuff sometimes, too. So it's nice to have options to go to. Hopefully, this will eventually end. But I, I, I doubt it. A Biden administration is going to invite oil CEOs to a meeting next week on gas prices. This is, of course, after harassing them publicly and saying that they're just greedy bastards trying to screw the American people. Sending them a public letter, which is always the way to get the response, uh, you know, to, to work in good faith is to send a giant public letter instead of going to them privately. You could have tried this before they decided not to. By the way, Exxon Mobil responded yesterday and made Joe Biden look like an idiot when they explained exactly what they have invested tens of billions of dollars in a period of economic downturn. They invested in more production. Uh, but as they suggest, the government certainly could do, be doing more. Um, mon- monthly car payments now, $712 a month. That number still like, strikes me as really high, and apparently it's not. It's average now, $712 months, dollars a month. It seems like, you know, you you're, you're buy a sports car, you're going to pay $700 a month. No, no, this is just uh, now the average car payment. Uh, and all of this, of course, combining to give Joe Biden incredible ratings on the economy, such as a new poll out that has him at 29%. 29 percent, 23 percent on his handling of inflation. Uh, his overall approval rating from Fox News is at 43 percent, which is honestly one of the best polls he has. Forty three percent is like a high watermark. Hate to bring that up after we just talked about the flooding at the baby formula factory. But this is like a high watermark for Biden at 43 percent. He's now under 40 percent on the average. And his I mean, it's hard to believe. I it's hard to stress to you how unbelievable it is that only 23 percent of people support Joe Biden's handling of inflation. Because honestly, when I look at that, I think well, that's way too high. Uh, shouldn't it be zero? Honestly, shouldn't it be zero at this point? Luckily, though, it is Pride Month and he is here to show you he has an absolute rock solid handle on lgbtqia 2 and their communities' uh, issues and concerns. Watch.
1: I'm also proud to have signed an executive order on my first day in office to combat discrimination against LGBTQI.
0: Excuse me. Mm. <laughs> LGBTQL. That is the problem with the Biden administration so far. Way too many L's. Court packing is a big danger to our democracy, as you know, I mean, they're trying to kill the Supreme Court justices right now, uh, so they'll do anything really, to stop uh, the Constitution from standing out and doing its job. Uh, that's, we see, we've seen this over and over and over again. Court packing is a big part of this. It's basically a coup. I mean, honestly, like, how do we not have a... I, I would I actually support a constitutional amendment just to say, hey, nine ju- justices. That's what it is. It's nine. It's not, not, not 58 if you want it to be 58. But Biden, Pelosi, Schumer, they're all talking about this, and they're all saying, hey, look, it's an option. If we don't get what we want, we're going to pack the Supreme Court. Don't let them do this. Don't let them install four or more justices to our Supreme Court. You need to make sure that uh, that can't happen, and uh, at least not on our watch. That's why you need to join with First Liberty Institute. They are gathering a co- uh, coalition of one million patriots to say no to court packing, no to the liberal agenda, no to the Supreme Court coup that is being attempted. It's a great organization and they do a great job and they've been fighting for religious freedom and so many other things for such a long time. Make sure you uh, sign up now. uh, Get your name on this petition. uh, Supremecoup.com. C-O-U-P, of course, is how you spell coup in this particular context. Supremecoup.com. First liberties letter at Supremecoup.com. Go there now. If you're listening to the podcast, click subscribe right now. Give us a rating and a review if you wouldn't mind taking the time. You know, you can say whatever you want. It's great. Whatever. I don't care. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars, however. Uh, This one comes in. I don't know why I listen to this stupid show, but I can't stop. It's obviously an addiction. We never promised, by the way, to, uh, to give you any rational reason to listen. We just assume that you will, and it'll become a habit, and then, you know, you just do it without thinking about it. That's at least our hope. You can also, by the way, uh, check it out on YouTube and comment there right now. If you're watching on YouTube, click like. Click the like button right now. Just do it before you forget or I say something that pisses you off. Uh, This one comes in. Wow, you nailed Bitcoin's future. I hope so. I'm optimistic about it. And I hope that this does actually happen and we recover. I think we will. Uh, This one comes in. Glenn Beck, quote, I'm rich and this green energy crap is still eating into my wallet. I know. I mean, if Glenn is noticing the cost of something. Do you understand how significant that is? We are all screwed if we go down this green energy road too far. Uh, Ron writes in, algorithmic engagement comment. That's right. The algorithm loves when you comment. So if you're on YouTube, comment below right now. And you can comment just that, algorithmic engagement comment. AEC, you know, that's all. Everyone knows what it is now. Just You're just feeding the beast, feeding the algorithm robot every single day. I do appreciate it. You can subscribe to the show as well and click the little bell. It'll uh, give you a little signal when we do maybe a, a special live broadcast, which we do from time to time. So make sure you check that out and you can subscribe at blazetv.com slash stew. Promo code is stew. Back in a second. Okay, so here's what happened. A long time ago, there was a product that dominated the market. It dominated it so much that no one ever thought anything could ever happen to it. It was a monopoly. The government brought uh, the, the owner of this company in front of Congress and screamed at them about how they had this monopoly. And then capitalism was like, yo, I think kind of sucks, and we're going to make some other stuff that's better. And then... Internet Explorer died. In fact, it's finally actually dead. 26 years of Internet Explorer. Oh, I know, the fancy E with, I think, a weird half-halo Saturn ring around it. Uh, That is gone now, and they have replaced it with something called Microsoft Edge. Now, if you've never used Microsoft Edge, I might recommend it to you. Let me show you the chart here, by the way. This is the usage over the years. And the micro- chartapalooza, nerds unite. We've got charts in the last segment. How about that? Uh, the Internet Explorer graph looks like, you know when you get to the top of a roller coaster? And, and it goes really, really slow, and then all of a sudden you start coming down the other side. That's what the usage chart looks like for that. Um, you see uh, you know, Firefox kind of a downslope, a slight upslope for Safari. All the other ones kind of have a bump and are relatively flat. But then Google Chrome has taken over. And here's the thing about Google Chrome. Now it sucks. I will tell you this, if you're using Chrome, I might, and there's other browsers as well, but if you want to try one of the big name brand ones, the Microsoft Edge is actually considerably better than than Chrome is at this point. So you can give that a shot. And it was also a little reminder that, you know, monopolies, we a lot of times get stuck on things are never going to change. Well, capitalism has a way of changing them, even when they own 90% of the market. Uh, By the way, studospowerhour.com. If you want to come see it live, you only have a couple days to do so. Go there now.